0: Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Today with me is Dr. Jody Richardson. Welcome, Jody.
1: Hi Sam, thanks for having me.
0: I'm really looking forward to talking about how anxiety can stop you from living your best life. And trust me, this is a podcast you don't want to miss because we're not just going to download the usual information about anxiety. We're going to be approaching anxiety from a very different perspective. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about Dr. Jody Richardson. She's an educator who helps parents work through the challenges and opportunities associated with a child's mental health well-being happiness and purpose and she has an emphasis on anxiety she is the author of two books anxious kids how children can turn their anxiety into resilience and the other book is anxious mums how mums can turn their anxiety into strength now she has over 20 years of professional work in education well-being clinical practice and elite sport and jody you were once a school teacher
1: I was, yes, many moons ago, Sam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, you have a Bachelor of Education, Physical Education, Chemistry, a Bachelor of Applied Science with a focus on exercise and sports science. You have a PhD in Medicine and Exercise Physiology. And your most amazing achievement is that you're a mum of two primary school aged children.
1: <laughs> True. Yes, absolutely.
0: Anxiety is one of those things that stops people from taking action in life. There are a lot of people that have hope without habit. What I mean there is that they're wishing, that they have goals, they have dreams, but anxiety is what stops them from taking action. So, I want to just spend a little bit of time on the, you know, basics of anxiety. Now, a lot of our followers are from the corporate world uh, and their spouses and they have kids. And I know your expertise is with children, but obviously what we're going to discuss today is about anxiety generally, whether you're 5, 8, 28, 50 or 80. So I'll kick it off. What is the difference between stress and anxiety?
1: Stress is a normal response to a situation that might be challenging for us or put us out of our comfort zone we have a lot of physiological responses when we're stressed about something blood pressure heart rate and stress is something that is almost on a continuum if you like but when anxiety starts to kick in the fight or flight response is starting to set off and we're having a different cascade of physiological changes that are occurring and the anxiety also can settle down when a stressful event has passed. But the difference is stress can be a very normal response and we need a certain amount of stress, a certain amount of arousal that we need to be able to perform at our best. But sometimes when there's this anticipation of a threat of sorts, the anxiety can kick in and it can become more debilitating, especially if the anxiety doesn't settle down. After the stressful event has passed, and and that's when anxiety can start to spill over into becoming more of a disorder and more of a challenge.
0: Okay, yeah. So there's a distinction there, isn't it? So the, the distinction seems to be that anxiety as a response to an event, like yesterday, I went motor racing. Now, before I got into that car, put the helmet on, the gloves, my heart was racing, my mouth was dry. So that's a normal stress response to an event, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely and we experience that regularly and I guess one of the things to point out is that that the responses that we have when we are faced with challenges are often really equip us to cope particularly if your arousal level or your stress level was very low then you wouldn't have the adrenaline you wouldn't be able to focus as much if we're too laissez-faire about something we don't perform at our best equally if we're over the curve and the stress has gone to a point where we just can't concentrate then we don't perform so there is an optimal level of arousal that we need when you know it comes to performing at our best and equally if anxiety is at play you're experienced in motor racing if you weren't you might have felt quite anxious and if somebody gets a a gift voucher to to go and you know do a, a few laps at sand down and having never done it before Then that anxiety response, which is that anticipation of a threat. How am I going to go? How am I going to cope? Am I going to be able to drive safely? And that anxiety response can do a couple of things. Part of it can prepare us to actually perform again at that peak. Part of it can be motivating. It might prompt somebody to do extra preparation for something that's causing anxiety. If you're doing a presentation at work or you're having to do something that's out of your comfort zone, A certain amount of anxiety can really motivate us to plan and prepare and and put ourselves in the best position to perform at our peak. But, again, if it becomes too high and too overwhelming to the point where the prefrontal cortex is not available, can't think straight, can't concentrate, then it's really debilitating.
0: There are circumstances that put us in a state of anxiety, but is there also genetics play a part because some people... Are naturally anxious or warriors, as we call them, and some people are bulletproof. Like my wife is bulletproof, right? Nothing phases her; she doesn't get anxious about anything. But myself and a couple of our children have that highly sensitive nature, which makes us more anxious.
1: Yeah, definitely, Sam. There is that genetic component, and in thirty to fifty percent of cases uh, of anxiety, it's, it's inherited. I'm like you; I don't know about your parents, but you've obviously. Passed on that genetic predisposition to a couple of your children, and I've inherited that genetic predisposition from my mum and my grandfather had uh, severe OCD. My mum's highly anxious, I have an anxiety disorder. So, yeah, there's definitely that genetic component, but what's interesting is that there's a bit of a metaphor for genetics in that the genetics might be the keys to the piano, but depending on what. Uni's play determines whether or not they're switched on, and environment therefore plays a role. And I look back to my childhood, and I can see that I was a pretty relaxed, happy kid until I started primary school, where I was in a class of fifty-three preps, and I had two very stressed teachers who yelled a lot. They were very stressed, and there was a lot of tension in that classroom, and that was really the trigger for me to start having that classic sign of anxiety, which was a sick stomach each day, which basically made me say to my mum every day, I don't want to go to school. So it's definitely the genetics. Something often happens to switch on those genes. A traumatic event can also cause anxiety. And it's one of these uh, challenges that can also just be related to brain chemistry. And yeah, so there's a a number of different reasons that uh, people can end up experiencing anxiety.
0: So people that are listening now, that can probably relate to what we're saying, because they say, oh, I have a propensity for anxiety as well. It is genetic, it's fine. It's completely normal, I feel like, but for people to be genetically different, right? We are genetically different, so you need to accept that. So the breakthrough for me came you know, very early on in my career where I realized, hey, I'm just an anxious person. So I'm either gonna avoid that environment or manage the anxiety, because there's some environments you can't avoid. Going to school, you can't avoid. You need to be a productive member of society. Going to work, doing client pitches, or playing sport with your friends. So I guess anxiety starts becoming a problem when it stops you from living your life.
1: Very much. And a lot of people will say that they might be experiencing fear, but it's actually anxiety. And just to highlight the difference between the two, interchangeable in many ways. It doesn't really matter what terminology we use. But when I was a kid, I'd walk to the milk bar with my brother with 25 cents in my pocket, which gives you an indication of what decade I might have been born in. <laughs> <laughs> we cut through a, a block of land and I remember walking through that block of land one day and I got swept by a magpie. Yes. When the magpie magpie's coming at me, I'm faced with an immediate threat and therefore I was experiencing fear. There was a threat to my safety uh, then and there. But the next week, I experienced anxiety in anticipation of that threat. Yes. If That sort of helps me to clarify that difference. And putting ourselves out of our comfort zones and striving to fulfil our ambitions and our goals and, and to take all the steps that we need to in that direction, it is managing anxiety and the natural behavior is to go it doesn't feel good I'm not going to do it and to be comfortable because we like to be comfortable and that's why I love exercise so much because it's such a brilliant way for us to get uncomfortable quickly and to learn that we can actually tolerate that discomfort and recognizing anxiety recognizing what's happening understanding the thought processes and the physiology and then knowing that you can feel all that and you can have the thoughts that are saying to you stop, turn around and get out of there, but you can actually still move forward. And that's the philosophy that I work with, whether I'm talking to parents or corporates or other professionals and just supporting people to be able to learn that you can have all the anxiety happening, but it doesn't actually have to stop you from moving forward and taking action.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I love the topics of your books. Now, I haven't read uh, your books and Bianca's going to order, order them for me, but Essentially, your thesis is that you can turn anxiety into strength, you can turn anxiety into resilience, right, especially for children. And I love that, because I can relate to that, because that's, for me, when I started accepting my anxieties, if you like, and I started seeing them as strengths, I started seeing my sensitivity as attunement for emotional intelligence, being able to read a person and being highly attuned to their feelings. And sure, there are some triggers for anxiety that you need to recognize and therefore avoid that don't serve you. For example, the things that only cause me anxiety these days is too much technology. So I can't be on my phone before I go to sleep. So I bookend my day. The first hour and the last hour is tech-free. If I don't exercise, if I sit at my desk all day and don't move, after a while that trapped feeling causes an anxiety to build up and i start feeling the butterflies thinking okay there's my cue so for people who feel anxiety is that a blessing is that something that is a beautiful sign that their their body gives them because it makes them more sensitive to foods to situations i've heard that anxious people are highly sensitive and make great artists authors speakers (laughs) architects
1: look Not everyone would say it's a blessing, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. but I look at what I've been through and what I've learned and how I've grown, and part of that has evolved into uh, how I've grown as a person and how I can then share what I've learned to help others, and because it's so common, I said I wouldn't change it, mind you, there's times in my life where I if you had asked me at the time, I would have said, get me out of here, this, I can't cope, you know, it's, it can be yeah. really debilitating, and of course, there's lots of different types of anxiety, but. Absolutely. There's so much that we can learn from it. And that's why when we have a good understanding of what circumstances and environments trigger our anxiety, how it feels so that we can capture our anxiety before it bubbles up to a point where it's really hard to manage. Then, if we can recognize within ourselves and we can start to use strategies to dial it back. And then it's certainly highly motivating. So anyone who's anxious about the client pitch is going to prepare very well there's only so much we can control and of course when you're highly anxious you work hard to control what you can and you struggle with what you can't control and so you work very hard to get as many ducks in a row as you can to best prepare yourself so that client pitch comes off as best as it can with as much preparation as possible again i guess if you don't have the case of the don't care couldn't care less then you're not going to be prepared you're not going to perform well there are a lot of people with really high-functioning anxiety that are very high achievers and highly motivated, but also it gives us compassionate and empathetic side to ourselves where we can see in other people where they might need extra support, extra help. We might sometimes recognise anxiety in other people where they haven't recognised it in themselves. And it certainly makes us very compassionate people to be around because we know what it's like to, to suffer and to struggle. And we want to support other people so that impacts their life as little as possible. So it's certainly a lot of pluses, but certainly does provide a lot of challenges, depending on where you're at on the spectrum with anxiety, and depending on how your anxiety presents as well.
0: Okay, so you mentioned the word control. The need to control comes out of our anxieties and fears. So is acceptance or practicing acceptance the antidote to anxiety? And if it is, then is practicing acceptance the antidote
1: yeah it, it definitely is absolutely one of them and gosh what a year for lack of control and uncertainty hey we're already seeing increases in anxiety and in depression and a lot of impacts on mental health from little kids right through to adults of course this year and that's because uncertainty is such a huge driver of anxiety and that's the part of our brain that's like the smoke alarm for our safety when there's a potential threat and when there's uncertainty or lots of moving pieces that we don't have control over that can sound the alarm and trigger the cascade of changes that result in the sympathetic system going into overdrive when anxiety really ramps up. And so acceptance is so important. And acceptance doesn't mean you have to like it, it doesn't mean you want it. It's a bit like forgiveness in the sense that forgiveness of somebody does not mean you condone how you were treated. Acceptance when it comes to anxiety, is a recognition that I have this going on, I am struggling, I'm having a difficult time, I'm suffering. And it's actually the key in so many ways because when we can accept how we feel and be willing to experience that discomfort, we're so much more able to move through it. It's when we fight with the anxiety, we struggle, we do everything we can not to feel the anxiety and the feel that discomfort. But also we often end up engaging in behaviours that then can be destructive in their own ways as well. So, for example, if a person turns to wine or g and in my case, if you're doing that, drinking heavily every night to help to relax and settle the anxiety, well, then that can create a new challenge, all the challenges that come with excessive consumption of alcohol.
0: Absolutely. Health challenges and... <laughs>
1: Definitely. Absolutely. So yeah, the acceptance is really powerful antidote. I love that word that you used, but uh, easier said than done. It takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of self-compassion.
0: Yeah. The reason why I mentioned it, because I figured out after a while, firstly, there is uh, a huge increase in anxiety. So we have a survey whenever we employ people and in that survey, to our surprise, people that we employ under the age of 25, 78% said that they experience anxiety. Now, whether they do or they don't, it's a matter of perception, right? Some person can experience anxiety and say, oh, that's just anxiety and I'm just going to keep living, right? Doing life like our ancestors used to do. They knew how to do life. But now there's this sense of they want to talk about it. And I had uh, a debate about this on stage with someone from Beyond Blue because the message was, We need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. And I said, doesn't that cause more anxiety and depression when you're just sitting wallowing? And shouldn't you just be doing your CrossFit and actually taking action in life, distracting yourself with other positive things? Anyway, I copped heaps out (laughs) for for suggesting that we talk about it too much. But I do get a sense that the youth of today, they're so quick to talk about their anxiety and that's how they define their identity. So I'm an anxious person and it stops me from doing that. And that's why I don't do that. It's like gives them the rite of passage to live a life that is less than what they're capable of living. And I find that a tragedy. I think that's a personal tragedy.
1: Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. It's a bit like when a parent has a little one that hides behind their leg and they say, oh, she's very shy. And then the child internalizes that I'm very shy and then it can become fulfilling in the sense that the child identifies with I'm shy and that means I don't engage or I don't engage easily. And look, anxiety and avoidance go hand in hand. It feels terrible. It's the most horrendous feeling when you are filled with anxiety, you're fueled with adrenaline, every cell in your body is reacting to the cascade of changes and we feel sick because you know, digestion shuts down when we're in life-saving fight-or-flight mode. The blood's moved to different parts of the body and, and all of the changes make sense when you understand the fight-or-flight response is there to keep us safe. But the thing is, I'll say this often when I'm I'm speaking to groups, that you can, you can actually stand there and you can feel all of that. You can actually feel all of that, be anxious and still move forward. You can be anxious and still pick up the phone to ring that person that once upon a time said just catch up with me sometime and whether it's romantic or it's professional it's you want to send that pitch to the publisher because you've got this book and there's all the anxiety about rejection you can feel it and you can say to yourself i'm anxious but i can do it anyway and i have a story about my little girl she's 10 now but last year something happened she was terribly disappointed she was really let down about something and before school one morning she was in tears and we sat on the couch and it's not our job to make them feel better it's our job to be there and comfort them and I sat with her and put my arm around her and I said I know what it's like to feel disappointed it's really hard isn't it let's just sit here and have a cuddle and let's talk it through. And I said, all right, what have you got left to do? Because 10 minutes have gone by, we've got to get ready for school. And she said, clean my teeth. And I said, all right, I think it's time to go and clean your teeth. then." And she said, but I'm disappointed. (laughs) And I said, you can be disappointed and you can still clean your
0: teeth.
1: (laughs) And off she went. And we've had the same thing with the dishwasher. Something happened. And I said, you can be disappointed, frustrated, You can feel it, but you can actually still do the stuff that's important. And that's the key to not letting it define your life. And the more you're able to do these things, the more you reinforce the idea that you can do it. And we're all going to fail. We're all going to be rejected at points in our lives. Of course, we're human and we don't get everything we want, nor should we. Anxiety doesn't have to stand in the way. Again, depending on where you're at, for a lot of people, they arrive at that with the professional help, with, for some people, medication. I take medication for my anxiety. For many years, I figured that if I took the medication, it was a bit like putting a Band-Aid on a wound where you didn't know how you'd hurt yourself. That yeah. was the way I thought about it. And then eventually what I was doing with exercise and therapy wasn't enough. So for different people, we, we need to be supported professionally in different ways. But that's the really sad thing about anxiety is the way it stops people doing what really matters
0: to them. Yeah, and I'm glad you called that out as well because people will go to the dentist but they feel like it's an admission if they go seek help if they suffer from anxiety. You go to a podiatrist, you go to a dentist, you go to a hairdresser. I, I don't see the difference really in knowing, you know, what, well, I need help in this part of my life just because it's not physical. It doesn't mean that it's not important. People tend to seek help Help when it comes to the physical, but when it comes to the mental or emotional, they feel like, oh, it's somehow taboo or there's a stigma attached to it. So I'm glad you you called that out. And that is sometimes we need a personal trainer, right? <laughs> we need a personal trainer to manage that weakness uh, that we might have. And I no doubt in your book, uh, you go through a lot of tips on how to turn the anxiety into a strength. And uh, we'll put the link for your book, where people can purchase the book on the description. Now, just going back to the anxiety that is on the increase amongst young people, is there two types of anxieties? And you'll have to excuse my ignorance. I'm not a specialist in this subject, but I see a lot of people who are also anxious because they have these goals that they're striving for. Their mindset is here. Their life is here and they want to get to there. And I call that the anxiety gap. So they're anxious to get to that. So there is a difference between anxious anticipation, excitement for doing something. But there seems to be a lot of people walking around with this negative anxiety that stops them from doing things because they don't like where they are in life right now and they want to get to that. And they call that ambition. They say, I have goals. And I say, yeah, but you're living an anxious life. You're not content. So I always say you need to be in love with the present before you have any hope to get to where you want to go to in the future, because if you're always denying your current life, whether your circumstances are good or bad, it doesn't really matter. You still have to be in love with the present. You have to be in love with the fact that you're alive, that you can taste food, that you can walk, that you can you know, absorb sunshine, that you have friends, whatever the case, and not always be living in this state of, I want to get to that point in the future, but I don't know how to. So is that a different type of anxiety to a anxiety that doesn't subside after an event or an anxiety that can't be explained? Sometimes I will experience an event that has caused an anxiety. This is when I was much younger. And then my memory of that event would disappear, but the anxiety would linger. And I'd wake up and say, why am I feeling anxious? There's nothing wrong with my life. So is that a different type of anxiety to the current uh, label of anxiety that young people are putting on themselves because they live in that gap between where their life is and where they want to be?
1: So much I want to say to that question. So we think of it as a continuum. So uh, we all sit somewhere on the continuum yeah. and to anxious. And stress, for example, can be humming along. We can have that sort of level of stress that might be humming along in the background but If say, for example, somebody's going to the party and they've been asked to sing on stage with their colleagues, that would just send my husband, he's like your wife, bulletproof until he's asked to do something on stage. But what would happen is in anticipation of that very stressful event for him, the anxiety would build, the event would pass, he'd end up having a ball probably and hiding behind someone. It would pass, the anxiety would settle and it's forgotten. And that's normal anxiety. So it settles after a stressful event has passed. I'll come back to your your main question, but an anxiety disorder is the anxiety is frequent, excessive, it's being experienced more days than not during the week, over a period of weeks and months, and it's getting in the way of daily functioning, whether it's social anxiety, whether it's a generalised anxiety disorder or a phobia of kinds, there are different types of anxiety. When you're asking the question with regards to I'm here and I want to be here." one of the things I want us to talk about are, are values and in light of what you were saying about living in the moment in the day and taking advantage of everything that we've got in the present moment and so yes definitely anxiety does stand in the way between where, where people are and but I think often what it is that and you would know this too Sam we don't go from here to here we go from here to here I was saying to you earlier I'm Got my first stand in karate and I got that at the end of last year, 12 months ago. But I had to go from white belt to yellow belt to orange belt, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, brown. You do it in increments. And so the way forward is to know and live by our values in today and also having that willingness to accept that discomfort to be able to stretch ourselves to take that next small step. And each step forward gives you a new view. If I have 10 steps forward, I've got a very different view of what's ahead of me than I do where I'm sitting right now. And so when we live by our values in the day, that's what can help to really guide us to take those steps. And so let's just say I've got this fascination with Mount Everest I really value my life and lots of people die on Everest, so I don't really think I'll ever climb it. But I love reading stories about people climbing it. I'm fascinated by uh, the altitude and science and just the, the pure sense of adventure. Now, if I have a sense of adventure, and let's just say Everest was my goal and that was my top-level goal, I can't rest today where I am, but how can I express my sense of adventure here and now? I could plan uh, a camping trip with a family this weekend somewhere new. I can live by that value of adventure today whilst also setting my sights on a big goal. And so this is the thing I think that we can lose sight of is our values are what lights us up and what we hold very dear to us. And we don't just live our values on the days that we achieve big goals. We can live by our values each and every day And you read about it, the books, about how important it is, because when we're striving towards something that's really meaningful, that's what can really give us that impetus to be willing to tolerate the discomfort that comes. And I'll give you an example. Recently, my mum had to attend a funeral. Now, mum doesn't like to drive long distances. Dad uh, usually drives the long distances. So she's never really driven far and she would never have but she had a funeral in ballarat and we're in the Mornington peninsula she's not far from me yes the the impetus that she had a really strong sense of purpose about why she needed to put herself out of the comfort zone and that was that value of friendship and that value of connection that helped her to get across that line now if i had just said to her mum I know you can do it. Just go drive to Ballarat and back for no reason. She wouldn't have felt motivated. And so the values help to guide us to make decisions and to give us that willingness to just tolerate that discomfort to take the next step as we're striving to reach those really big goals that we set for ourselves. So
0: Yeah, so that was her big why, I guess. So her why was greater than her fears, her anxieties. And I think what you said then is quite profound for people that are listening. The best way to overcome your anxieties is to be doing stuff that really lights you up because stuff that lights you up helps you overcome the anxieties. And that's quite profound. Thank you, Jody, for pointing that out. And it does come back to values because they're deeper, aren't they? That's part of our deep in our identity. I think the young people of today are having an identity crisis at such a young age because I think they're living in that gap, that anxiety gap, between where they want to be and where they are. It's because, like you said, with Mount Everest, they're looking at the peak instead of the next step that they can take. And I think technology these days is just wiring young people for instant gratification. And I I can tell you, we have law students that start with us and they say, oh, when can I become a manager? Or when can I handle my own client? So you've just started. (laughs) It's that now mentality. I want it now. I want the relationship now, ends up in divorce. I want that friendship now, ends up with the arguments. It has to be slow ripening fruit for it to taste good. And life isn't built overnight. It's built brick by brick, day by day. There's no other way, whether it's a business or a relationship or a friendship or any one of the eight areas of life. One of the areas is learning, for growth doesn't happen overnight. I use the um, analogy that was beautifully talked about in Stephen Covey's book, He talks about the miracle of the bamboo tree. I I tell the people that I coach, I say, look, when you're taking action, whether you're doing a degree or you're pursuing a relationship or in a job and you're in it every day, you're you're doing your tasks, sometimes you don't see any growth and that's like the bamboo tree. So humans are very similar to, to the bamboo tree in our growth. Sometimes when you plant the bulb of a bamboo underneath the surface in the soil, you don't see any growth for weeks, months, years. And in fact, it takes five years for the first shoot to come through the soil. But once it does break through the soil, it climbs too many feet within weeks. So sometimes we have to wait for our fifth year. Now, our fifth year depends on what we're doing. It could be months, uh, it could be you know weeks, it could be years, it could be days, it could be hours on a task. And a lot of people give up before they get to their fifth year and my advice to people is yes know when to quit on something that's not serving you but also know when not to give up because you could be so close to that breakthrough and you'll see incredible growth but it seems to be a strong correlation between young people's anxiety and this anxious anticipation to get to they want to be in a hurry without having to work for it, without going through those steps. You can't get to Mount Everest within an hour. It takes days. It takes many months of training, adapting. And the people who go for that journey and go through life step-by-step, task-by-task, whether they live with a propensity for anxiety or not, they're the ones that will live with the most fulfillment in life in spite of their anxiety.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And the word fulfillment that you just used, always looking for the peak, we'll stick with that Mount Everest metaphor, to always looking to there, missing what's in the moment and in the day. And what we know from the research, unhappy mind is a wandering mind. And we know that from research that the average person's mind wanders 47% of the time. so so for your listeners come back to us please (laughs) (laughs) yes it's very natural for our minds to wander unless we practice a mindfulness practice meditation and mindfulness and the research was so interesting because even when people were looking forward to something they were less happy doing that than they were when they were paying attention to what was happening in the moment and life is lived In the everyday and there's the quote life's what happens while you're busy making other plans and what we do each day builds on our goals and our dreams for our futures but it's very sad and there's so much lost if people aren't able to enjoy each day for what it brings and what it offers them and coming back to the idea of living by our values it's wonderful that the pillars of your framework that people will have values in each of those eight different areas and in the area of developing our friendship we hold that dearly as a value then today you can send a text message just to check in on a friend and then you're living by that value now you might want to take that friend on a two week holiday to you know hayman island that's living by that value as well very generous gift for a friend but we don't have to do the big things all the time to live by those values yes live by them each and every day but also still taking steps towards the bigger goals because it is a fundamental human need for achievement for our well-being well-being is a construct as you would know a bit like the weather there's lots of different parts that sort of make it up Achievement is one of them, and it's not to be overlooked. But if it's the only thing we're setting our sights on, we we miss out on so much growth opportunity and happiness and well-being here and now.
0: Oh wow! I love what you just said. <laughs> it's so yeah. nice, and yeah. so powerful, and so aligned to the framework at a higher branch. That's really awesome, Jodie There's so many things I want to talk about, but let me just collect my thoughts. There One of the things uh, you mentioned earlier is exercise. I want to talk about the impact of exercise on anxiety. Also, sleep is something, I don't know whether you noticed, but I wear an aura ring and I measure my sleep data. And I can tell you that if I get five hours of sleep or less, the next day I'm going to have a strong tendency to be anxious. So a lot of people say they suffer insomnia because of their anxiety, but sometimes I feel like, they suffer anxiety from a lack of sleep. And then you forget where the loop started. Firstly, just to round off what you said about just take taking those daily steps for people that are listening. I've got a podcast about journaling, which is the way you hold yourself accountable because uh, so many of us are focusing on the dream, but then we forget about the small largest tasks that we have to perform to get to our dream. You know, Jody, you didn't get your PhD. That was your dream to get it, but you had to wake up. You had to go to the lectures. You had to read books. So yes, you can get excited about the dream, but hope without the habit of study, without the habit of doing daily in the eight areas of life is futile. And that's where I think anxiety lives. Mm -hmm. The other thing you mentioned is achievement. And I love that you mentioned that because people think that gratitude is the antidote to anxiety. But I think gratitude is the antidote to unhappiness and sadness and even depression. But most people will list the things that they're grateful for but they forget to list the things that they've achieved in the day so one of my nightly rituals is i write down what i achieved for the day so in the morning i journal saying what i'm going to do in the areas of life and i love that you mentioned just sending a text message to a friend so if you look at my diary for today in the tree of love for example i've just written one simple thing and that is that i'm going to send a nice text message to my wife katrina right because today, that's my little bit. Now, don't underestimate the little things that you can do in your life to take action in the eight areas that will be a huge antidote to anxiety, because it'll give you that sense of achievement. If you're anxious about working out, go and work out, because at the end of it, you're going to say, what was I anxious about? I I did it notwithstanding. There's so much power in doing. Action is power. And I think... If everyone lists their achievements for the day, they'll realize how much power they actually experienced in that day. And the little things with driving to work is an achievement, doing your tasks at work. We're now recording a podcast. At the end of the day, I'm going to list that down as my achievement. That's an achievement. I think if we go back and look at what our ancestors did, they were happy. They were content. And they did much less than what we did. Absolutely. We achieve a lot more, but yet we are the unhappiest in history because we place unrealistic expectations because we look at our life through the lens of somebody else's Facebook post or Instagram post. And look, that's outside the scope of our talk today. And I did record an amazing podcast on the dangers of digital media and the benefits of social media with Dr. Christie. But let's go on to how do we also neutralize anxiety chemically, if you like. And you mentioned exercise. And I want you to explain what happens to us with exercise, because that's my reset button. If I've had a bad sleep, experiencing anxiety, after my workout, it feels like all my chemistry has just changed. How powerful is exercise for anxiety?
1: incredibly powerful and it's a prescription for anybody everybody needs to exercise every day just for normal functioning but when you have a challenge with your mental health be it anxiety or depression it's a prescription that you cannot ignore because it does make such a profound difference to the way we feel and it's so exciting to look at the research and to understand why it makes such a difference and most people are very familiar with the idea of endorphins which are a feel-good neurotransmitters which are released when we exercise. But there's a lot of other things that happen as well. One of them in particular is that we release, and it's a mouthful, it's yeah. called gamma-aminobutyric acid or GABA is the acronym. And it's a neurotransmitter that we release when we exercise and it puts the brakes on our anxiety response. It dampens that response. So in addition to producing serotonin and dopamine, and the gamma aminobutyric acid is produced, which the feel-good neurotransmitters help to boost and elevate our mood, but also the release of GABA helps to turn down that anxiety response. The benefits of exercise extend, obviously, wholly and solely across our mental health and our physical health. I'm a bit of a freak when it comes to exercise. <laughs> the thing about exercise, too, is that you don't have to be running a marathon. You can go for a walk. Even, you know, at CrossFit, what people often think, oh, well, you're lifting heavy weights and you're doing handstands and squats and things. But gosh, it took me 12 months to build the strength and the confidence. You don't have to go to CrossFit and be able to do all these things. You start where you are. And you don't get to the top of the ladder by jumping it. You get to the top of it by climbing it. And exercise is the same. I just could not speak highly enough of the benefit of regular Exercise for mental health. It's the panacea, honestly. And yes, I have a low dose antidepressant, which acts as an anti anxiety for me. One of the tools in the toolkit is my medication, but mindfulness, my thinking has changed in profound ways in terms of managing my anxiety. Exercise is an essential, and it's just one of the things that people can add to their toolkit to really make a big difference. But please don't wait to feel motivated that's one of the things I really love people to don't have to feel motivated you could be waiting a lifetime and as an exercise physiologist when I used to to work in clinical practice with people who had severe mental health challenges depression anxiety in particular plus others they'd come to see me and we'd get out and we'd go for a walk together because nature helps as well fresh air and I was able to accompany people to do that but If you're waiting to be motivated, please stop doing that and just tell yourself you don't feel like it, but the more you do it, the more the motivation will come because you'll be able to tune into the benefits that come after actually having got out there and done it.
0: Yeah, because the irony is that when we're anxious or depressed about anything, our motivation is at its lowest. Everyone has their own, I guess, mechanism, but I love Nike's tagline, just do it. I asked a question and it applies to all areas of life. I asked a question for Dr. Jen Mann recently in a podcast about sex droughts with couples. And I asked her for her tips. One of them was just do it. Even if it feels uncomfortable, she said, you you just got to get back on that bike and and ride. Even if it doesn't feel good, you just got to do it. And the same thing with exercise. You've just got to force yourself to do it. So when you've had a crappy night's sleep because of an anxiety. You're going to wake up, you're going to feel tired. But I promise you, because I've been there myself, I will still show up for a spin class or go for a run or even just a walk. And like you said, the combination of fresh air, nature and sunshine as well as a mood enhancer and exercise itself will boost the GABA that you mentioned. So that's a really powerful tip. Now, when it comes to GABA, can you also supplement that or is that what you're talking about with the medication? The medication is that supplement.
1: Yeah, so interestingly with medication, what's often thought is that it's related to the serotonin. There are different types of medication to treat anxiety. A very common one is an SRI, which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor so we produce serotonin naturally and we produce serotonin when we exercise that's one of the ways we can produce it and what the medication does is it stops your body from reabsorbing the serotonin as quickly so the serotonin hangs around in the gaps between the neurons in the brain for longer so it's more available for longer so you're not actually taking a serotonin supplement which can often be what's believed about the medication you're actually blocking your body from re and absorbing the serotonin you produce naturally. That's why you need to take it daily. Like, for example, I take my medication of, of an evening because one of the side effects was it did make me feel a little bit sick in the stomach. And take it before I go to bed, sleep through, uh, and I don't have to endure that particular side effect. It only acts for a certain period of time. Some people are on medication for anxiety where they need to take it in the morning and in the evening so that they've got the, the levels more constant in the bloodstream and in the brain so whilst obviously not a psychiatrist I've learned a lot about the medication my personal interest and professional again there are different types of medication but the SSRI medications are often the first port of call when it comes to trying something for anxiety
0: okay awesome people need to feel like medication is also a supplement like people will pop vitamin pills and don't realize it's a medication as well. <laughs> and somehow there's a stigma attached to it if it's prescribed by a doctor or if it's come from a pharmaceutical company. And I just want to call that out because I don't want people to feel like pharmaceutical is evil. And uh, you'll be surprised to know that the supplement industry is much bigger than the pharmaceutical industry those vitamins and you know minerals that you're taking all those supplements you're taking i'm not saying they're bad but big supplement is much bigger than big pharma i can tell you and a lot of the time they don't have to go through all the rigorous testing pharmaceutical companies have to go through for those of you who are listening just treat medication like a supplement as well because we're not born perfect some of us are born with weaknesses and strengths as well so that's why some of us can run at the olympics at 800 meters and others 100 meter sprinters we're all different and i love also the fact jody that i I see this among so many of our experts that come onto our podcast and that is they give meaning to their story by being experts in that field. So I love the fact that you're now an expert on anxiety, right? Because you yourself experience it. The lens that you have gives you natural empathy for others. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I tend to listen more to experts in a field where they've actually experienced some sort of adversity or hardship or a mountain that they've climbed. To overcome that and they've written books about it they've gone to university and uh and studied that so i, I really love your honesty and sharing your personal journey as well when it comes to anxiety so thank you oh,
1: you're so welcome it, it's so common one in three women one in five men in a lifetime will experience an anxiety challenge we all know someone who's been through it and there might be people listening to this podcast that might start to think oh gosh maybe knowing a little bit more about it they might go and ask the question that their GP is to whether or not they might need some extra help and what this does is it raises awareness people learn that you know it is something that you can manage and it doesn't have to get in the way of really living an awesome life so it's really great to be able to talk about it.
0: Spot on. And the solution for everyone is a matter of degrees and extent. So the solution for some may be just one little thing that they need to tweak in their life. Or for others, it's three things or five things. For some, it's getting help. And whether it's a psychologist or it's actually getting help from a psychiatrist, who can prescribe something. That does not mean that if you are a mild anxiety Suffer that you need to trivialize it you need to always be climbing higher as we say at a high branch reach for that next branch and say is it meditation that will fix my mild anxiety before it gets worse because something that starts off mild can get worse if you don't listen to the body and either change your behaviors change your thinking uh, or adopt new lifestyle measures and hacks so for me the big game changer was more sleep that decimated my anxiety. Absolutely. For others, it's meditation or mindfulness med- meditation. I know someone who started doing yoga and the breathing and just the, the control of the breath, conscious breathing has made a huge difference for her. I know another person who gave up gluten <laughs> and that was the the circuit breaker for their anxiety. And I can name hundreds of people that I've come across, whether it's at Know, F45 or CrossFit or I'm a long distance runner as well, and it was exercise for them. I've asked. I said, "Why did you get into this?" And I said, "I started suffering from anxiety at work from sitting too much, and now this helps me." So whatever it is, don't give up on it. You've got to keep searching and listening to experts. Jody, do you actually treat people as well? Are you a practitioner?
1: Actually, at the moment, no, I'm not working with clients. I've been really focusing on speaking to groups and doing professional development as well, and also writing. But it is, it's certainly part of my toolkit. But at the moment, I'm not taking on any clients.
0: Okay. For some people who are listening now, they have a team. So you, when you say you do group, is that for corporate as well?
1: Yes, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Workshops, keynotes, training. Yes. And I'm um, so passionate about mental health and well-being, also very much in in the area of anxiety about taking action, values guided action, about acceptance and happiness. They're the areas that I can work with, and obviously we talk to the parents as well. Many of the parents that I've spoken to at a lot of the schools have then gone back to their workplaces and talked about what I can come and do in in their workplaces as well. We certainly know workplaces very much influence the emotional well-being of the people around us, the way we are as parents, influences our kids. And when we're highly anxious, it can impact the people around us. So no matter what age you are, learning how to dial it back. And I talk about getting anxiety out of the way, dialing it back so it's just a bit like the radio humming in the background. We don't have to get rid of it. We don't have to get rid of unhelpful thoughts and feelings. If we have the skills to know how to manage them, it's a bit like taking everything, folding it up, sticking it in your back pocket, still with you, but yeah. not standing in your way anymore. love helping people to to learn those skills and how to be able to move forward, yeah.
0: Yeah, I can see that. You've written uh, books about it, so you must love it. And uh, so you do specialise in children's anxieties?
1: Actually, I, I did for, for a long time, was just working yeah. with parents in schools. And I've written the book, Anxious Mums, and there's a bit of a, a good story as to how that came about. We might save that for another time, but really now equally working with parents and professionals for their own mental health, wellbeing and anxiety because that's where a lot of people are at and a lot of the parents that I would talk to at our speaking engagements would come up to me even when they're there to learn about their kids' anxiety and would just say to me, I didn't recognise it. And, you know, it's sad to think some people go through a great part of their life not understanding their mental health and what we know in Australia is that the gap between first symptoms of anxiety And help-seeking is still eight years.
0: Wow, okay.
1: So I say to people when they hear me speak, if you do nothing else, then recognise it today, learn some skills, but also get some help. You will change the trajectory of your life or your child's life.
0: And I'm wondering how much productivity is lost at work from your staff members that are feeling anxiety and are in that eight-year period where they're not doing anything about it.
1: Yeah, procrastination is a sign of anxiety.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, yes.
1: Yeah, so I'm actually just creating a new keynote at the moment, which is I'm toying with the the title, but at the moment, my running title is Procrastination, Perfectionism and Productivity. Wow, I love that. I love the frameworks that you work with because it's the what and it's the how. And one thing to know, I've got all the what-if thinking. I've got so many worries I've got the future thinking, I've got the physical symptoms. It's one thing to know, okay, I recognize what this is now. The next step is to learn what can I do when I feel it coming on? And it's profound. You can learn to manage the thoughts and to manage the physiology. And then, so it doesn't bubble up to a point where you're unable to function well. You can manage it and minimize it, but also to know that I can still feel uncomfortable and get the tasks done that I need to do. And there's lots of great productivity hacks that you can put into place as well. But getting to the bottom of the procrastination and and the perfectionism as well really helps people to understand what's driving their behaviour or lack of.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. That would be an awesome keynote. I'd love to do a follow-up podcast after you do that keynote to download some more information because that's definitely my tribe, <laughs> the, the corporate world. And uh, that's a big issue in the corporate world, especially this year with the uncertainty and uh, with the huge increase in people watching the news and the anxiety that causes an impact it's having on our productivity or was having until we short-circuited it. But it's a message definitely that I'd love to, to get out there to a lot of our listeners who are also corporate leaders. So that would be great to do a follow-up. When's your next keynote on that?
1: I'm creating it at the moment, so...
0: That's fresh out of the oven.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really wanted to to look at what the need is and really just been listening, learning and talking to people to learn what is it that people need. We've been living the very definition of anxiety. It's yeah. the brain body's response in anticipation of a threat. And there's been a very real threat to our safety. There's been a lot of fear for good reason because obviously COVID, we're in Victoria, so obviously it was a huge Worry there for us. You'd go out, and in my mind, my imagination, when I'd go to the supermarket, it was like everything was glowing green, contaminated. But sort of my mind. Was like, <laughs> yes. It's an abundant threat. Anxiety is a very natural response under those circumstances. Unfortunately, it's been so prolonged that normally we have the anxiety response and it settles down when the stress passes. Well, the stress hasn't until recently, really. Uh, started to settle down but for those people that are listening if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling anxious if you're feeling overwhelmed if you're feeling emotional teary irritable please have a lot of compassion for yourself because we've been living through the most extraordinary times and we've all been affected in different ways family members friends sport kids school health work finances you name it so recognise that you've got very good reason to be feeling how you're feeling. And please, if it's something that you, you think you could benefit from some help, please yeah, reach out and get that help because there's lots of help available. And it's just waiting for you to pick up the phone and start by making an appointment with your GP.
0: What are the telltale signs of a person being anxious and how do you start that conversation with them?
1: Yes, I Should
0: can- you start a conversation with them?
1: and that's another really good point to raise and in in a workplace look it's usually very private and in the workplace i i encourage a mental health education which is part of the mandate of workplaces to look out for staff and educate staff but also you know a lot of workplaces have designated mental health officers if you like i'm sure they've got better names for it than what i've just said but the people who are willing educated able and compassionate to, to be that sort of that first port of call but i'd also encourage any manager to let their staff know that they're not 10 feet tall and bulletproof either and that they're human and really invite staff if you do need to have a conversation that there's an opportunity for a confidential chat that the door is always open in terms of looking at learning about what to look for with anxiety I break it into three main categories. So that's the anxiety affects how we think, how we feel and what we do. So lots of mm-hmm. worries and catastrophizing. If, you, if you're someone who's just always going to the worst case scenario, always worrying about things, that could be a sign that there's anxiety bubbling away. And that worst case scenario thinking is very common what-if questions. This alarm in our brain is also the emotional processing centre of the brain, and so big emotions, I overwhelmingly get teary when I'm anxious. Some people get the fight side of the fight or flight it can have people feeling really irritable and angry and frustrated and so big emotions. But also the physiology of anxiety means that we feel tingly in our hands and arms sometimes. Uh, we can tremble because of the adrenaline. We can feel sick The blood from our digestion is shunted to our arms and legs, readying us to fight or flee. We sweat because our brain is anticipating all of this movement and this is the thing. Exercise is the natural end to the fight or flight response because our body is gearing us up to fight for our safety or to run like heck and get out of there, yet so often we're filled with anxiety and we're sitting in an office chair or we're on the couch watching Netflix, whereas we're actually being geared up to move and that's why you know, we sweat because the cooling turns on because the body's anticipating a lot of high intensity movement in terms of fight or flight. So all the physical signs change how we feel. Like you were saying about, you woke up the next day with this anxious feeling, you're like, I can't put my finger on why. So you're feeling those feelings. Something's happened. You just haven't consciously necessarily recognized it. And it can trigger this fight or flight response and you can feel horrible and and you don't understand what's caused it. And so that's how we feel. And in terms of what we do, that overwhelming response in terms of what we do is what we don't do. And that's where the avoidance comes in.
0: That's the third component, isn't it? They call it fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, <laughs> People just freeze and do yeah. nothing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I wrote actually in Anxious Mums of a, a personal experience where I was put in a very vulnerable position and I froze and it actually locked on the fight or flight response. And for months afterwards. I had numbness and tingling in my limb that was inexplicable until I actually dealt with the, the circumstances of what had happened. Because I'd frozen, sometimes the, the system gets a bit stuck. And uh, there, there's also a fourth F, which is freak out. <laughs> 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 we can we have to have a chuckle at it, don't we? Because, it's look, it's really serious. And, yeah. you know, again, it's that continuum. Some people have that low level anxiety that they can really manage well with a good understanding of themselves and some good tools in their toolkit like exercise perhaps and some breathing other people like me i exercise like a maniac and i take medication (laughs) (laughs) we talked about exercise before and i shared with you some of the why exercise makes such a difference to the physiology and how it helps to calm the response and whether about breathing or mindfulness or some of the other strategies I use, which thinking skills and the like. I always love to help people make the link between, okay, this is what anxiety does, this is what we can do to help, and this is why it makes a difference because that can help people to first of all try it, see how it makes them feel, and then understand, oh, I I get why I'm doing this and and why it's making a difference, and it helps to maintain that behaviour change.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess for people that are listening, the fact that two people right now are having a conversation about this topic who are self-confessed anxiety sufferers, (laughs) uh, my whole life, and I say this in the humblest of ways, we are both successful in our lives. We have amazing families, children, friends. We still manage to feel our lives in the eight areas we're learning we're working we're contributing to society and that's not in any way to trivialize if you're listening at the moment and saying i'm going through terrible anxiety and i am in the freeze zone or the freak out zone and i promise you that both jd and myself have been there ourselves and no one was born into a perfect set of circumstances my parents lost everything in the war in a civil war in lebanon we came here And we suffered our share of anxiety, of insecurity. Imagine going to another country now where if I told you you're going to lose everything, take you to another country, we can't understand. You don't know the language and you have to start from scratch. Now, I'm not sharing this with you to, to say, look, I've overcome my adversity. It's just to demonstrate that everyone goes through their own form of adversity. Even someone's small adversity could be a big thing for them it wasn't a big thing for example for my father he went through all that even though he lost everything but for my mother who's an anxiety sufferer it was huge so wherever you may be at the moment i hope the fact that both jody and myself are sharing what we've overcome and how hard it can be can give you a bit of hope and empower you to make the changes knowing that they will make a difference and exercise makes a difference for me, not drinking coffee makes a difference, staying away from caffeine, getting a good night's sleep, socializing, not being on technology, writing in my journal, working and listing my achievements. Everything that I've mentioned, everything that Jodie's mentioned that works for her, don't feel like you're alone. You can go through that and tick the boxes of what you can do. Is it exercise? Is it sleep? Is it sunshine? Is it taking probiotics? Is it taking medication? (laughs) I know when I go through anxiety, I minimize how much I eat. I eat very minimal. I make sure it's raw food because I can't digest when I'm going through anxiety. I'm sure Jody's nodding on the Zoom calls. On that note, we can talk forever about this subject. And this has been a really broad spectrum, non linear discussion. So I hope Jody and myself have done it justice for you guys that are listening whether you suffer from anxiety yourself or whether you have a partner or a, a family member or a child, that we've given you enough information and, more importantly, where you can get more information as well. Dr. Jody Richardson, again, your website address?
1: Yeah, drjodyrichardson.com.au.
0: Wonderful. So it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jody. Thank you for coming on to our podcast.
1: Thank you, Sam, very much for inviting me to talk with you today and and I feel there's so many parallels in the way we think and what we've learned but also to be able to just let people know that really everyone we meet, we might not know what's going on but everyone's dealing with something and if you're dealing with anxiety, you're most certainly not alone and there's a lot of help and I know that this conversation is going to, you know, invite a, a lot of hopefully other conversations with people, with their friends, with their family and hopefully for some with their Family doctor, if they feel as though they need a little bit of extra help. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure.
0: No, absolutely. Thank you again. Okay, everyone, thank you for listening. Until next time, live consciously, my friends.